Hello there, welcome to the Ebon Hawk, a podcast discussing Star Wars news in Knights of the Old Republic. Today, let's explore more of terrorists, including the Lower City, and we'll celebrate Life Day. No, no really. Spoiler alert for Knights of the Old Republic series and the Star Wars films and TV shows. This is where the fun begins. All right, so our first topic, we're going to go over just some of our listener questions. Our first one comes from Jedi.amir.tal, and they ask, is Darth Vitate's spirit truly dead? I mean, it, it seems like in the game, his spirit was transferred to his first body and the spirit was destroyed. And even without research, like, if you are aligned with the dark side, you really cannot transcend death. It's what Sith fear the most, but kind of reminds me of the Princess Bride. I'm kind of going to tweak the quote for my own purposes, but it's like, I think... Wesley says, death cannot stop true love. It can only delay it for a little while. I would change the quote to, the dark side cannot stop death. It can only delay it a little while. Because even if you come back as like a spirit or a clone or Sith magic or whatever, the light side of the force is where the true balance and alignment is in the universe. And you cannot transcend death in the star wars universe being selfish it's only through being selfless you know um so it's like the jedi and the sith are kind of searching for the same thing but they just come to different conclusions and the the jedi are able to do it yeah darth vita i think had uh, according to the lore i was looking at like he was being like preserved a little bit but he was like officially killed uh, in the game's canon. So he is definitely dead, dead to partner off the same reference. At Aaron Ringelmayer asks, ideal filming locations for Lahan? Yeah, Rakata Prime is also known as Lahan. My ideal location is green screen. Everyone can just imagine it and not see it and have no idea what they're looking at until the final renderings are completed in the film. No, just kidding. I don't really have anywhere in mind, because sometimes just how films work is like you f- you come up with a few different locations and you see what would be the most economic option available. So just like some beach, you know, where they get good tax benefits, I would say that. One thing I was kind of thinking about is, like, what if the KOTOR series or KOTOR films found an excuse to film in KOTOR Montenegro? So then you could have KOTOR in KOTOR, and if they played KOTOR the game there, they could achieve KOTORception while they're there, and that would be cool. I mean, it kind of reminds me of that island that they use in Pirates of the Caribbean, the one that Jack Sparrow and... Uh, Elizabeth get stranded on. Oh, you but mean save? That was a joke because Keira Knightley was, you know, in, in Star Wars as, as save. Oh. So they all, uh. I guess, have to have an E ending name, but uh, hers was save. So that island, like, blown up on a more, like, continental scale. Yeah. Is kind of what that reminds me of. I'm trying to think, like, uh, where that was, that was filmed, you know? Probably the in the Caribbean. I mean, it could have been in the Caribbean, but I think they also filmed a bit in California. So both seas, you have the Pacific and the Atlantic represented in that film. At least they spent a lot of time with like actual 
actual environment and not so much green screen kind of like they did with the second and third films. Yeah. Mysteries of the Force asks, in KOTOR, were Mandalorians a race or a creed? By the way, you both are awesome. Uh, uh, thanks, Mysteries of the Force. I love being told I'm awesome, so thank you. You're awesome, too. So I think in Knights of the Old Republic, they're a little bit more of a race, but it is kind of a creed as well. I just think, like, they're kind of just a bit restricted with the 2003 graphics. And they're kind of meant to be more of the antagonists rather than, like, these people accept all kinds of people, you know? But definitely in Knights of the Old Republic 2, you learn that Mira was kind of part of the Mandalorians, and it seems like Candorus is trying to get, like, all the Mandalorians with him under his banner, so they're kind of organized and less disorderly and kind of can find some honor, you know? I think that's definitely something that could be examined, especially with the success of the Mandalorian series in KOTOR 1 or KOTOR 2 adaptations and kind of give Candorus maybe some more to do. Yeah, I don't... When KOTOR came out, trying to think back to what what back-end lore was available for the Mandalorians... And I think I think they're mainly just working with what they had, and they just kind of came up with more of a creed. But I mean, they're all from one place, so. I mean, I think like back then, Jango was considered a Mandalorian, and like he was the last real Mandalorian, and he was killed off in Kreia when she's having her really long death scene, is like telling you the future. She kind of hints at, like, Django's death. It's interesting. Ironic Designs, he asks, Did you guys read the KOTOR comics, and what did you think of them? Um, I have not read the KOTOR comics. They came out when it wasn't exactly cool for girls to like Star Wars, like, really like Star Wars. So I would always kind of feel, I don't know, like... I would be like, hey, I'm just, you know, first in line to ironically buy these Knights of the Old Republic magazines and I've played the game, you know, ironically, you know. So I read uh, the first few, but then just sometimes like life gets busy and sometimes you just like go to the bookstore and you kind of have to remember to get there in time and sometimes they wouldn't like always have the comic you wanted. So I read the first few it was really interesting to kind of see the character of Zane and the planet Terrace just kind of interpreted in a different way, kind of get some more backstory. You see Karth mission and some Mandalorians, and then, of course, Revan and Malak appear. It, it was pretty interesting. I, I knew the overall steps of the story. I kept up with it, but it's fascinating. Uh, Lucy and Dre's story in particular especially how it ends really kind of stayed with me it it made me kind of evaluate knights of the older public more i would now that like they have like them all published in books now maybe i'd like to get them one day and just kind of read through them and like bring them up on the podcast so so yeah i've read them and and i, I liked them yeah nothing against like the kotor comics because it's more of just a problem with comics in general for me is I always I can never tell which or how they want you to read it because some 
some comic books they're like read it from right to left some like top to bottom right to left and then the american ones are like left to right top to bottom and you're like ah yeah i don't know and then the the order of the quotes inside each box too kind of get confusing for me so i prefer novelizations for um, my my books and stuff before we move on to our next topic we just wanted to read a new apple podcast review and it says best kotor podcast out there i've had the pleasure of following this page and podcast for a while now and they come out with nothing but the best if you're a star wars fan this podcast is a must their Instagram page is always is always posting engaging stuff as well. Keep up the great work, Cassie and Coden. And that comes from CDST Srup. And I just want to say thank you for your kind review. Yeah. All right. Um, moving to our next topic is more of our discussion of the KOTOR walkthrough. So we're going to be discussing a bit of, so more of the um, terrace and then the lower city terrace. So take us away, Cassia. All right, so where we left off, Karth and Revan were in the upper city, just kind of taking in the Teresian air for the first time. And you can just kind of walk around and explore. You can see Shelba's shop. And and like a story detail that I noticed uh, on this playthrough is that ships, swoops, and heavy weapons were banned during the Sith quarantine. So it's like you can't just buy a ship you know you so later you know when you have to get off terrace it's gonna it's gonna be difficult <laughs> and then i i stumbled into the medical facility and if you kind of open this one door you can kind of see some ailing republic soldiers who are kind of like so badly injured that they're probably just like going to die and zelka foreign says there's not much i can do really except make their final days you know as comfortable as possible and there's also a guy named there named gurney so you know i i kind of like puns and then there is a shop and you can see that t3m4 and t3 hate are for sale in janice nell's shop which i think it's hilarious that it's t3 hate you know so it's like in my mind like t3m4 is the good droid and t3 hate is the evil one, you know? I think I'm gonna, like, I think I'm stealing, like, a, a Jenny Nicholson joke, but it's, like, maybe, like, T3M4 is, like, beep, beep, boop, boop, and then T3 hate is, like, boop, 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 you know? So, yeah. Man, I, I gotta, like, think back on the sequence. Doesn't, isn't this a nod to A New Hope where you buy T3H8 and it, like, malfunctions and so you end up with T3M4 instead? Yep. It'll be a future KOTOR parallel for me to to cover on the Instagram page, probably. But one fun detail is if you wear the uh, Sith armor into her shop, she calls you your Sithness. And it's like, oh, that that's funny. Like, I'd love to be called that. And then you kind of see some of Davik's thugs, like, kind of, like, shaking up old people or just random people, like, for money. And... You kind of get the sense that Davik is the Jabba of Terrace, and the exchange is kind of pulling a lot of the strings on Terrace. So you you can get light and dark side points all around. Like, this is your adventure, you know, for you to choose who you're going to be. 
So eventually, as you are exploring, you'll go to the Upper City Cantina, and you notice that it's pretty much just Sith officers and humans. The only aliens there are Twilight Dancers, Ajor the Hut, and a Rodian named Twitch. So if you want to play Pazak or Pazak, you know, however it's pronounced, you heard a lot of different ways in the series, you can get a deck there. And there's also the arena there, and if you want to fight there, you're going to be referred to as the Mysterious Stranger because you have no past, no history, just some big dark secrets. And it's like, wow, like, I really should have known that I was in for a big twist when I was playing Knights of the Old Republic, but I, I like that Karth kind of rationalized it, like, we can use credits, you know, to get around the the planet easier and it's like yeah it's not just pointless side quests we're doing it for like good you know um and there's a character named bendex star killer there you know so it's a nice homage to luke's original last name in the uh draft of the script i would recommend like having your persuasion ability be very high so it's easier to persuade people uh, because one of the people you're going to want to persuade on the on your quest is Sarna. She's in the Upper City Cantina. And she'll invite you to her Sith officer party in the apartments when they're off duty. And I'm pretty sure that she is voiced by Grey Deliesel. Who will go on to voice the Handmaiden, a.k.a. Brianna, in KOTOR 2. And... If you watch Avatar The Last Airbender, she plays Princess Azula. And if you watch Fairly Odd Parents, she is Vicky. So, yeah, fun detail. So, you go to Sarna's party, and the thing about a Sith party is no one can handle their Teresian ale. So, they all pass out, and then what do you do when you go there? You find their Sith armor. And you use it for your own purposes. Kind Not of, to mention whatever credits and other things are in their pockets. Yeah, you loot all the things. Like, leave no, leave nothing unturned in this game because credits come in handy. Like, I can never leave a chest unopened. It's like, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that later. But as you're dressed up in the armor, it's pretty impressive armor, like, visually, I, I kind of wish, um, I almost wish it were the Republic armor, you know, it's just impressive. It looks like knights in shining armor, you know, um, but you pass some drunk people and it's, it's kind of the story telling you, like, you look like a Sith, you know, you, you pass the test, you know, so then you're able to get to the lower city because your goal is to... You're trying to get down lower so you can investigate the crash, the escape pod crashes in the Undercity. How do you describe the lower city, Coden? Like, definitely not not dark like the Undercity, but like just kind of definitely just like tucked away and claustrophobic. Uh, trashy too. Yeah, it's definitely darker, definitely dirtier. It kind of just reminds you of like the crappy subway stop or a subway line you you'll see like lots of crash speeders around and i'm like i forgot that there are literally corpses on the ground like 
it just seems like somewhere you wouldn't want to walk alone, you know? And just, like, thinking of living there, it's like you can't really see the sky when you're there. And as Dennis has said back in uh, the episode where we were talking about the score, he was saying, like, Terrace is all about contrast, and it's like, so when I was kind of replaying for the recap, I was like, I'm really kind of noticing more of a difference between the upper city and the lower city. Because over the years, it kind of seemed like they were a bit similar, but it's like, in the upper city, you have sunlight, and it's open, and it's fresh, and then here, it just seems like not as fresh, and just kind of crappier, and you're gonna run into, like, a lot of thugs down there. Like, I'd, I'd forgotten about that. And the people down here, uh, when you are just kind of investigating apartments to find loot, like, they take it personally and they will fight you, you know? And it's like, how dare you, you know, not be okay with that, you know? Um, There's a lot of encounters similar to the Han Greedo encounter. And, like, everything is handled that way. It's like, hey, you owe me money. And then they just, like, shoot him or, you know, whatever the outcome is. Yeah. Uh, and the the gangs down there, there are two main gangs, the Black Volkers and the Hidden Becks. And it's like, it was almost feeling like Romeo and Juliet proportions. Like, everyone is just fighting. And I'm like, wow. Okay. Um, I'm, honest, I'm honestly kind of surprised that, that the Forbidden Love side quest that happens on Dantooine didn't happen on Terrace, you know? Because it just seems like it would have fit and been kind of hilarious. But um, what I'd forgotten is how early Candorus is introduced. We previously talked a bit about him in episode three. And at this point in the story, he's kind of just Davik's muscle. And he is voiced by the late and great John Segan. And we will get to Candorous fancast in in the future, so don't worry about that. But what did you think of Candorous when you first met him? When I first met him, at that point, he was just another thug. And, I mean, you, you kind of knew that he was on errand. And so you're like, well, uh, again, it's kind of getting some some of like Jabba, I don't know, personal messenger type vibe out of him. Uh, similar, again, to the... Greedo's role with Jabba in A New Hope. Yeah. But but yeah, I think it, it with with the first impressions, it was pretty hard for me to really like nail down something solid. And I think it or as future playthroughs rather went on, just more and more things kind of opened up. Yeah, I guess I'd forgotten. Like I'm like, oh yeah, he has a tattoo. It's it's a it's a good tattoo. Um, but we will definitely see more of him in the future. And then you go to Javier's Cantina, and this is the fun cantina. They have the best music, you know? The Upper City one seemed a bit too too hip, you know? But this one seems like it would be the most fun to go to, because they definitely do not have a cantina in the Undercity, is all I will say. So, um, you see Calo Nord, who's... I think he's like the bounty hunter with the Doc Ock glasses. And he's kind of like the Boba Fett of this story. And basically, if you want to live, don't talk to him because he'll just count one. And then if you keep talking to him, he'll just say two. 
And then if you keep going, he'll say three and then you're dead. Don't talk to him is the moral of that story. And you'll definitely see more of Callow Nord in the future. And then a story detail I didn't really realize is that the quarantine affects like all the ships that were kind of just around Terrace. They were kind of forced to land and stay on Terrace so they can search everything. As you kind of go into Javier's Cantina some more, uh, you run into Mission Veo, and she is voiced by a Star Wars voice actress great, uh, Catherine Tabor. You probably know her as Pinello uh, from Final Fantasy XII. And she was also Padme in the Clone Wars, Vet in Spotor, and Princess Leia in The Force Unleashed, and the cancelled masterpiece, Star Wars Detours. We talked a bit about Mission in episode 8 of our podcast, but she's like a teenage Twi'lek. Uh, she's blue. Uh, her best friend is Zalbar. And you kind of just get the sense that Mission is the street smarts and Big Z is the muscle. And as you talk to Mission, you kind of just get the sense that she's like a light you know, like, she's a beacon of goodness and hope within the lower city and Terrace in general. Um, I don't think we really need to do fan casts for them, because I think, like, with Mission, you would just want some someone young or who seems young, you know, to play the part of Mission and someone tall to play Salvar. What about you, Coden? Yeah, um, just, just someone who, like, a high-energy... And yeah, it doesn't really matter, I think, of like who they grab just because I mean, she's going to be covered in blue makeup anyway. Yeah. And so just someone who can like display good high energy um, younger. Yeah. I just wouldn't want anyone from like the Disney Channel or the CW. Like I would say just I would say choose someone fun, but someone who can also be like a Jiminy Cricket, like kind of like a conscience, you know, so you don't want... You don't want them to come off annoying, you know, which sometimes can be hard uh, with, like, kind of younger characters to kind of find that line between cute and annoying, but I think it can be done. And you can ask Mission, like, questions about Davik, the gangs in Kalo Nord, but one thing that I, I noticed was if you ask her about Davik, she's like, oh yeah, he has a ship called the Ebon Hawk which can break the Sith blockade, like, so, um, yeah, I've never heard of the Ebon Hawk, uh, what about you, Coden? Nope, never. Okay, yeah, so, that'll never come up again, and then, uh, Mission says she's a part of the Hidden Bex, and, uh, like, literally, Kitty Corner or Caddy Corner, however you want to say it, like, when you exit the Javier's Cantina, you're like, huh, that looks like a base, you know? And it's it was pretty easy to get in, like, probably too easy, you know? So it's like, I would not want to, like, be in the Hidden Beck base, you know? Because the guard would probably just let anyone in, you know? But when you're there, you get some... It's like a, it's like a friendly boxer being kind of like the guard dog of a home. It's like, oh... Come on in. I have a steak for you, you know? So, like, just be cool. I'm just gonna be in and out and maybe take some stuff so it's all good, you know? But 
when you go into the Hidden Beck base, you, you learn some information that Bastila is a slave. The Black Volkers think she's just a Republic officer, and so does the Exchange, so that works in her favor. She's going to be the prize of the swoop race. So the leader of the Hidden Becks is Gadden Thek. And he says, I'm trying to win this gang war. And it comes to culmination with that swoop race. And you need Bastila Shan, and she is the prize. So I think our um, interests can align there. So if you can help me get the prototype swoop accelerator out of the Black Volker base so you can win and race, I, I will sponsor you. And that's, that's what we can do. One thing I was kind of wondering is, like, why wouldn't Karth ride in the race? I know it's because you're the main character, but it seems like he has more experience flying and everything. Like, what do you think, like, in an adaptation they could say the reasoning is, like, for Karth not being the one to do the swoop in the adaptation? He gets extreme motion sickness. No, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's, like, a more bred to be an officer not so much of like a grunt and so he's very book smart but not like well practiced in especially in something like this yeah maybe it could be interesting it's like Karth is thinking he will but like last minute like maybe he's indisposed or injured or something and it's like oh I guess I'll have to do it you know because I think Revan at this point doesn't know he is Force-sensitive, you know? So it, it would be a surprise, and it's like, okay, I guess I have to do it. And then it's like, oh, he can do it, you know? So, and Gadanthek says Mission can help you get the prototype accelerator out of the Beck base. So she's probably in the Undercity, is what Gadan says. So you're going to have to go down there and find her in Zalbar. And Gaddon gives you some papers in exchange for your awesome Sith armor to get down to the Undercity. And funnily enough, when I was walking down towards the Undercity Sith base, the prompt came up that it said Karth looked like he had something on his mind. And I try not to be harsh on Karth, but like sometimes it's like when you talk to him. I think part of this is just kind of how like video game stories are told. Because it's like kind of like an overarching narrative, and they can't tell you everything at once. You kind of have to feel like the conversation, you're kind of unlocking it as you go along, you know? So then I was talking to Karth, and he's like, oh, it's kind of re refreshing for you to be straightforward. And Karth goes on to say, like, I was an advisor to Bastila. It was a fast battle over Terrace. None of us were expecting it. And... One detail I'd totally forgotten in the story is that Bastila's party requested Revan's last minute edition specifically. And Karth was saying, like, that's kind of odd and convenient. And when you kind of prompt Karth on that more, he's like, I don't know, it just something doesn't quite add up. And I don't like surprises. And I guess it kind of makes sense for what Karth has kind of gone through. That he kind of has to look for patterns because sometimes, like, patterns repeat themselves, you know? And you kind of have to be on your toes, especially if, like, he's been betrayed the way he has, you know? And 
I didn't realize like how much like foreshadowing there was for the twist, you know, at this point. But yeah, Karth has to expect the unexpected. Do you think there's more foreshadowing than you remember? No, I don't think so. I mean, especially with that conversation with Karth, at that point, it, it was a boy crying wolf. And so I totally ignored Karth and uh, moved on. Yeah. Uh, and and this is, you know, this is, I think we brought this up last time. Like, this is something that I hope they would fix in the film adaptation. That, like, they need to fix all the Karths. Like, I have something to say. No, I don't. Never mind. Yeah. And uh, and just to keep, like, his interactions interesting. Because at this point, he's almost talked to several times. And then for me as the player, I just kind of stopped trying. He opens up later when Basil is in party because that's somebody he's like comfortable. Their work with talking. Their work acquaintances, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, Karth knows who you are as Revan, so like he's I th- in the back of his mind, he's always kind of uncomfortable being around you without Bastila because you know there there's just that force block in his mind, and I don't to me I don't think Karth. Like I think he definitely like believes in the force, but I don't think he just has that confidence in like the reliability of the force, and so he j- he still sees Revan as Revan the whole time. Yeah, so we'll definitely see more of these characters in the future, and we'll cover the Undercity in 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 a future episode. So get ready for that. So. You thought the lower city was hard. Try the under city. And by the way, I totally voted yes for yes, there should be rat ghouls in uh, a KOTOR film adaptation. Yeah, it was a, I took it personally. So I don't know. (laughs) I just think that they're a little too zombie adjacent. And I wouldn't mind like rat ghouls appearing in the corner and you're kind of like, what's that? And then they're never brought up again. I think having them being like a main focal point of the Undercity, it's like, they just look too weird. Well, they, they look like a bunch of monkeys in the game, so they definitely need to be more creative. But I just think zombies are, I don't know. I don't think we need zombies in KOTOR, but we'll get there when we get there. So Yeah, um, first things first, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with our final topic. Welcome back, everybody. So we posted a poll on Instagram, and we just wanted to go over some results. So the post was in an adaptation. Would you want Karth's story and personality just like in KOTOR or something else? Astro Nakka uh, responds with like in KOTOR. I don't know. Doing the Karth episode kind of and replaying Knights of the Old Republic, I just kind of learned to... I don't know, not be as hard on Karth. Because I think it's kind of easy with all the, the KOTOR memes to be like, oh, Karth, you smile weird and you're paranoid. But like, I think in a story, 
he does kind of have good reason to be that way. I think in a in a film, it wouldn't be presented the same way as a video game, and I think uh, writers and actors could take that to their advantage. At Rossinasi, um chips in, yes, exactly the same. At Astrodroid um, says, he's a little stiff in the game, but I like his attitude, so I think pretty similar to KOTOR. And lastly, Ironic Design says, keep he's basically a moral compass reminder to keep Revan grounded. Do you have any more thoughts, Cassie, before I chip in? I think that when you have a movie, a lot of what you would maybe have characters say in a video game or a book or other mediums, you can do a lot more visually. But I mean, Star Wars at the same time is kind of like one of those series where, especially when George Lucas is writing, characters say exactly what they're feeling. There's no subtext. Like, Anakin is gonna say... I've thought of her every day, you know, since I was, like, a kid, you know? And it's like, wow, okay, you're just saying that, you know? Like, kind of no subtext. It's, like, very earnest, uh, very high drama, you know? Um, Awkward. And it's like, wow, yeah. So, but maybe something I would do in a KOTOR adaptation is, like, kind of like what Astrodroid brings up is, like, he is a little stiff, but I like his attitude, and it's like, he is a pillar of good, goodness, you know, kind of of the light side of right action. Because everyone's not always the cool, chummy Han Solo, you know? And sometimes I hate it when, like, characters are just made to be like, he's the Han Solo of the story because he's so cool. And it's like, there's only one Han Solo, you really can't do it again, you know? So yeah, it's like, he's good, but he... he has trauma he's dealing with, so he's not always going to handle it correctly. And Ironic.Design says he's a moral compass and who helps Revan stay grounded. So I would maybe say, like, maybe Karth could keep some of his thoughts kind of underneath the surface and then, like, just kind of lets things out when, like, he is really under duress or when it, like, would be appropriate, like, at a specific plot point. Because I think you want the main three, like, Basla, Karth, and Revan to kind of be friends, but also it's like they have some, they have a mission they're trying to accomplish and sometimes there's good and bad days and they all kind of have their different agendas. So you don't want everyone to be too chummy, but you don't want them to be at each other's throats, you know? Yeah, I, I think I would want the, yeah, kind of the same attitude of Karth from the game to reflect in the adaptation. And yeah, less less of the, like the false prompt dialogue and have that be more useful. Um, but I would also love to have like one little one Easter egg of that got something for you. No, never mind. And uh, just to just to kind of mess with it, but then have the rest of it be useful interactions with Karth. That would be hilarious. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting to see how they do it. All right. So we'll, we'll take another just a brief break.
welcome back everybody so astro Nakta art asks uh maybe you could discuss future possible star wars projects in light of the uh last news um disney is losing money do you think they'll need more animated tv series and uh well funny you ask there's this uh article from variety titled star wars holiday special getting lego treatment on disney plus and uh disney plus has kind of a uh, kind of a funny little library of Lego Star Wars. Um, so it's going to it's gonna arrive on Disney Plus on November 17th. And it's it looks like it's going to be a spoof of the holiday special that came out um, back when the original trilogy was new. Um, looks like it's it's going to be centered around Rey and uh, like an investigation of, of just her Force journey. So yeah, I don't know. It's probably going to be a good like slapstick humor thing, kind of like the rest of the Lego Star Wars stuff is. What do you think, Cassia? Yeah, I think the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special looks amazing. And I think no matter what they do, it's going to be better than the Star Wars Holiday Special. So I'm I'm excited for it. Um, and it looks like you're going to have Rey, uh, Finn, Poe, and Rose, and the rest of the crew kind of travel through the different eras and I think it just looks like a fun like holiday Star Wars Lego fun adventure you know and I think it could have some fun easter eggs to the Star Wars holiday special and looks like it could be funny and I'm excited now I have you know plans for November 17th because that's how this year is going you know so yeah I'm, I'm really pumped and maybe there will be the Lego Star Wars holiday special sweaters, you know, and maybe I'll have to procure one. But I remember watching the Star Wars holiday special or trying to once there was a for a hot minute, there was a Star Wars club at one of the schools like I, I went to and it existed pretty much until they watch the Star Wars Holiday Special and then they're like, um, maybe let's never, you know, do that again. So it was bad. Yeah, and I hope it's just as embarrassing for like Ray and Poe and all these guys as the last one because, you know, it just has to happen. Yep. Oh, man. This <laughs> uh just hearing like uh the podcast and newcomers having to watch just having to watch the Star Wars holiday special and like just hearing what they thought about it it was very hilarious so yeah if you're trying to introduce someone to Star Wars like do not ever show them probably the Star Wars holiday special it'll just ruin it yeah, maybe make a brief mention to not look it up because they'll probably find it in their search of star wars content so you know maybe some little thought of avoid it like the plague yeah but you know we uh, know how that goes fun story um so uh, carrie fisher in agreement for doing the dvd commentary for the original trilogy george lucas gave her like probably the only copy of the star wars holiday special and carrie fisher when she wanted people to leave she would put the Star Wars Holiday Special on, so it works. Well, I think that just about wraps it up. So thanks everyone for listening to 
the Ebonhawk Podcast. All right. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Ebonhawk Podcast. And be sure to click the link in the bio for the easiest way to listen to our podcast. And our, our podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out immensely. And our email is ebonhawkpodcast at gmail.com. And you're welcome to email us your questions and business inquiries. Uh, yep. And then you can find me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, all just searching for Code and Bond um, with the Twitch. Just uh, follow the Twitter feed for when I go live, but typically those are Thursday evenings. So just keep an eye out there. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shoreman, and he can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash Alistair Sounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker, at, and he can be found at christianwalkermusic.com. This has been the Ebonhawk Podcast. May the force be with you. We'll be back soon. Bye for now.